like the snow as long as it doesn't go on the roads. Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, come on. We say that God, you know, can do anything. So my prayer today is, Jesus, let it snow everywhere except for on the roads. That would be awesome. If God answers that prayer, whew, that'd be good. At the end of each year, I take time to pray about the coming year, and, and I, I just want to take time to seek the Lord and to ask him, God, what is it that you want to do in and through me in this year, and now in and through our church? And typically, I'm seeking the Lord just for a word, you know, a word that he would give me that will just help to focus me, focus me personally, focus me as a pastor. Last year, the word... Sorry, I keep running into this, so I'm going to move it before I fall. Um, last year, the, the word that the Lord gave me for our church was forward in faith together. And when you look back at the year 2023 in the life of our church, man, that is what God did. He moved us forward. He moved us forward in unity in this community and we learned to trust God and to have faith in him in ways that I, I think we had never done before. As Tyler and I were praying about this year, 2024, we felt like the Lord was saying to us that we are seen, known, and loved. I believe that God wants to take us this year on a journey of, of deepening relationship with him, where we know despite the circumstances that we face, that we have a God who sees us. We have a God who knows us intimately, and we have a God who loves us. So this morning, to start off this year, I want to focus on that first aspect of this word from the Lord, and that is that God sees you. God sees us. Do you know the feeling of being unseen? Do you know what it feels like to be overlooked or to be forgotten? For the past six years, got a funny story for you. Um, I have served our national church, so the four square churches across Canada in a leadership capacity, and three times a year, we, these, this leadership team would gather together, and there's probably about 20 of us that were always on this team for the last six years with a few people, you know, coming and going, but largely the main group of, the same main group of people. And there's one man who served on the team, and he is an absolutely lovely man. Love this guy. He's an older gentleman, and he's just the sweetest little man that you will ever meet. But for the life of him, he could not remember who I was. Ever. Ever. And I mean, this wasn't just a situation where he, you know, would come up and like, oh, remind me what your name is. No. No clue who I was. And so every time, we're talking a lot of times, he would come up to me with this confused look on his face, and, and he would hold out his hand to introduce himself to me as if it was the first time he had ever met me. And each time, so this is, you know, six years, three times a year, we're talking 18 times, give or take, I would smile and I, I would say, yeah, I'm Lizzie thinking, you know, lights are going to come on, and he's still looking at me like completely dazed and confused. I'm like, Lizzie Jorgensen? Nothing. Missions? 
director for Foursquare. Mm, nothing. We're still shaking hands. He's still looking at me really confused. And then every time I would end with this, I'm Tyler's wife. And he would say, oh, yeah, how is Tyler? <laughs> nothing like being unseen. God bless him. I do love him. On the flip side, there's another leader in our denomination in the United States who remembers me every single time he sees me, and that's not all that often. Um, but when I, you know, when I do see him, he will come up to me, he will greet me by name, me first, and then he will say, how's Tyler? How are the kids? How's the church? He takes time to see me. And because of that, he knows details about my life because he's interested, right? He wants to know my story. It is healing and comforting when you know that you are seen by others. But how much more so when we know that we are seen by our creator, by the Lord. This morning, I want to take a look at the story of a woman who knew both the sting of being overlooked and forgotten and also the feeling of being seen by God. And this is the story of Hagar. We find her story in the book of Genesis chapter 16. There are not many chapters in the Bible that are written about Hagar, and in fact, you've probably not heard too many sermons based on this woman, on her life. But I believe that what we read and what we know from the word of God helps us to understand a very important truth about him. And that is that he sees us, but not just us. He sees everyone. Hagar's story in the Bible begins in the middle of the story of Abram and Sarai, later known as Abraham and Sarah. This couple had no children, and although Abram had received a prophetic word that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars of the sky, he and his wife had no kids. Sarai was barren. And in Sarai's hopelessness and in her desperation, she came up with a plan to, to kind of make God's promise happen. And just a side note here. If you're ever tempted to do that, don't. It's a really bad idea. When we try to force God's hand, it will end up in trouble. So we're going to pick up this story this morning from Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So when Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. This is a sad story, right from the beginning. Firstly, Hagar was an enslaved woman, and we need to not miss that. 
because she was a slave. She was likely or possibly procured when Abram and Sarai were traveling through Egypt. She was property, and she would have been treated as such. And when Sarai concocted this plan to bring about what she thought was God's plan, Hagar was the one to carry the burden of that decision. She wasn't asked what she wanted. She wasn't, you know, they didn't go to her first, hey, what do you think about this plan? She wasn't consulted before she was sent off to be with Abram. She was forced, and she was put in a situation that she had no control over. And I imagine that it was a situation where she very much felt unseen and unimportant and uncared for. And through that horrible and unfair situation, she became pregnant. And I I do believe that this pregnancy offered her for a moment a glimmer of hope. Maybe they will treat me differently now. Maybe I will be seen because I'm carrying the son of Abram. Surely something is going to be better now. Maybe she would be seen by the community. But sadly, that wasn't her reality either. She despised Sarai, and Sarai despised her and then treated her so poorly that she fled. The word that they use there for how Sarai treated Hagar, in English we say mistreated. Um, But it is actually the same word that was used later to describe Egypt's oppression of Israel. So this wasn't just a light mistreating. This was harsh mistreatment. This was behavior that led to Hagar's complete despondence, where she decided that she would be so much better off in the middle of the desert. The desert truly offered nothing to Hagar other than escape. Maybe she was hoping that she could make it back you know, through the desert, back to her homeland, back to Egypt. But likely the the desert would have led to her death. That trek was over 200 miles. And yet she was so desperate to get away from her awful situation that even that seemed like a better outcome than what she was currently going through. You know, it may have been unwise or short-sighted for her to run into the desert pregnant with nothing, But Hagar's desperation, it explains this ill-conceived plan, escape plan. So let's continue in the story, starting in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Now, as we dive into this portion of Scripture, I want to just take a moment to explain the phrase that we see here, angel of the Lord. Scholars suggest that the angel of the Lord here is what we call a theophany, and that is when we see God come down to earth in physical form. 
And so this is a very important distinction to make as we look into what was said and how Hagar responded. The Lord finds Hagar. He takes note of her. He notices her. He is probably the first one to actually see her for who she was for a very long time. And he opens up this conversation with her. He speaks to her. He gives her a promise. And I think this is important to note too. It's not a promise for Abram. It's a promise not for Sarai. It's a promise for her. Why? Because God saw her. When God met Hagar in the desert, he didn't treat her like a mistake that needed to be, you know, gotten rid of. He wasn't going to continue to mistreat her as her earthly master had. He didn't criticize her. He didn't judge her. He didn't lecture her. Rather, our all-knowing God honored her by seeking to understand. And you know what? He didn't have to. God already knew what her situation was. He is an all-knowing, omniscient God. He didn't have to ask her, hey, Hagar, what's your situation? What's going on? Because he already knew. But he did ask, why? In order to place value on her and her situation. He basically stepped in and he saw her and he said, what's your story? Tell me what's going on because I care about you, because I see you. After their encounter with the desert, the desert, Hagar did something that no one else in Scripture has done. She gave God a name. And the name that she gave him was, you are God, you are El Royi, the God who sees me. See, something significant happened in that desert. And it happened when Hagar was at a very low point in her life and in her circumstance. God stepped in and he saw her. And in the midst of total mess and chaos of the situation around her, a situation that she had no control over, God stepped in. Church, we should be encouraged by this. The story of Hagar shows us that when we wander into those wilderness places, whether we, we do it on our own or whether it's life circumstances that are leading us there, when life circumstances and, and, and systems of power push us down and throw us out, God is drawing near to us. God is stepping in. God sees you. In the midst of Hagar's pain and struggle, she received God's promise. She received his blessing. And this is good news for those of us who today are a little bit less than perfect. Do we have any perfect people in the room? Uh, Jason, good on you. <laughs> this is good news for all of us. This is good news for those of us who are weeping over the situations that we're in right now that are out of our control. This is good news for those of us who are weeping over the consequences of our own decisions. This is good news for, for those of us who are victims of abuse or power or rejection. Just like Hagar was, you are seen by God. 
And our God is here, and he is ready to meet us at the place of despair where, where perhaps we think God is absent. Perhaps we can't see God's promises coming true right now. And so we're tempted to believe, well, maybe they're not true. Maybe they're false. See, God comes to us in those dark moments. He comes to us in those barren desert places. And he takes time to see us and to ask us, what's your story? Tell me why you're here. How did you get here? Hagar's story didn't end there in the desert. She obeyed the Lord and she went back to Sarai and Abram. And she gave birth to her son and they lived together in this community for the next several years. But when Sarah and Abraham had their son, their son of promise, the friction returned and it got a whole lot worse. And Hagar and her son were kicked out of community. They were banished from the family. They were banished from that community that they had been a part of. And as they were wandering through the desert and they had a small supply of water and that supply ran out, Hagar knew this is the end. We are at death's door. The Bible says that she didn't want to see her son die, so she left him beside the shade of a tree and she walked a distance further. And they were both crying. And this is when God met her again. In Genesis chapter 21 from verse 17, it says, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God saw them, and he made a way forward for them through the despair and through the brokenness in the desert. From this story, I want us to focus on three attributes of God that we see demonstrated here to Hagar, but also then how do those attributes of God, how does what we learn here apply to us? How does it apply to me in my situation today? These three attributes of God, they are for you as well. This isn't just some ancient story. This is who our God is today. Firstly, God sees. And not just the randomness in our world. No, he is a personal God and he sees us. He sees you. Hagar was a nobody, truly. In her world and in her situation, she was a person of no significance. No one saw her, no one valued her. In fact, life just kind of happened to her. And honestly, life wasn't good for Hagar. I certainly would not want to, to trade places with her and to be in her situation. She was separated from her family. She was enslaved and abused. She was neglected and abandoned. But God saw her. He met her and he took time to get to know her story. God placed value on her and it changed her life. And for you this morning, I want you to know that God sees you. And he sees what nobody else does. He sees the struggle that you may be in this morning. And you know what? He wants to hear from you. He wants you to tell him your story. 
I feel like the Lord leans down his ear to us. We read that in scripture in the Psalms. He inclines his ear to us because he wants to hear from you. God sees us. Secondly, God hears your cries. I think this is one of the most beautiful parts of the story is when we read that God heard the boy crying and he did something about it. Psalm 34 verses 15 to 18 illustrates these first two points that God sees us and that he hears us just beautifully. David the psalmist says this, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you are crying in the desert because of the situation around you, firstly know that there is no judgment. There is no condemnation. Your cries, in fact, your cries in secret are heard by your loving God. And he will deliver you because he is close to you and he saves you. God sees you. God hears you. And finally, God speaks to you. You know, when I go through seasons of despair, I often find it hard to see the good and to focus on the good. I would love to think that I'm an optimistic person, but I think sometimes when life happens, I tend to go to the pessimism side of the scale. And I see the bad. My attention often gets pulled to the negative. And it can be overwhelming. You know, the situations that we face, especially when we have no control over them. This is why we need to know and be reminded of the fact that our God is not silent. Our God is not idle. He is not just sitting up there allowing chaos to happen down here with his hands off. Our God is active and he is in control. God speaks to us in those moments. God spoke to Hagar when she was at her lowest, when the situations were the bleakest. Just this week, I was overcome with situations where evil just seems to be prevailing. And when you look out at our world, I was talking to Bonnie earlier this week, when, you, when we look at the world and you see the, the evil and the injustices of the world, it can, be, it can become heavy. It can become overwhelming because you see the darkness. And I had a moment this week when I just felt overcome. I was actually walking into the grocery store. I was at Superstore. And I was almost to the entrance, and, and I just cried out to the Lord. It was just this prayer of desperation, a, a cry from my heart. Then I said, God, where are you? And immediately, I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, just quietly, I am right here. Our God is not distant. He cares and he sees and he speaks to us. We need to remember that he is with us. The Bible tells us that he will never leave us. And he can't because it's not in his nature. It is not who he is. He is close to the brokenhearted, as we just read in that song. He will speak to you 
through his word. We need to be digging into the word of God. We need to be reading his promises, memorizing them, having his words on our tongue so that we do not forget he is here and he is not silent. He will speak to us. Our God sees you. Our God hears you. And our God speaks. Be encouraged today. I felt even this morning as we went into our pre-morning prayer that there were many who were coming today who had a spirit of heaviness on them. We're just feeling this heavy. And the Lord wants to lift that heaviness off of you and replace it with a garment of praise. That is why we sing in all seasons and in all circumstances. It is saying, Jesus, I don't want this heaviness. I don't want this burden. I don't want to be overcome with the evil that I see in the world. Jesus, I'm going to release that to you, and I'm going to praise you in the middle of this storm. And he will give us freedom when we do that, when we can trust him that he is in control. He sees He knows, and he loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word that speaks to us. God, I thank you that you are a God who sees. Jesus, when when we are overcome, just like Hagar was, I thank you, Jesus, that you step in and you see us and you speak. You, you, you are curious. You ask us to tell you our story and then you get involved. So, Lord, today I thank you for that. And, Jesus, I pray that as we surrender to you, as we do offer you that sacrifice of praise, Lord, that you would lift that spirit of heaviness off of every person that is here, that is represented in this church family. And God, that you would replace that with a garment of praise. Lord, that there would be joy where there has been desperation. God, that there would be peace where there has been anxiety. Father, that there would be love where there has been hate. Jesus, help us. Help us to see you as you see us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.